Welcome to the second season of the Mastering the Mind podcast, where we will now be exploring the exciting and fast-growing world of esports. We will be interviewing a variety of professional esports players, coaches, and stakeholders in order to better understand the psychological demands of competing at the elite level and the important role the mind plays in esports performance. Today we welcome Luis Pyrox Chavez to the podcast. Luis is a Brazilian professional League of Legends coach. Some of the teams Luis has worked for are Mad Gaming, Kaboom Orange, Big Gods, Chaos Lati Gamers, T-Show, Furia, Loud, Infinity and All Nights. So let's welcome Luis to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Yeah, yeah, good. Sorry for using Zoom. I know it's not uh, the typical platform, you know, we use in uh, in sort of esports and gaming, but uh, for us, it's the most reliable one. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I have had some meetings on Zoom before as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, how have you been? Uh, have you been busy? Like, obviously leading up to Christmas now, we're very close. So what sort of your schedule looking now? Uh, it's been a... Uh, uh, a quite uh, eventful December because there was a wedding in my family and my my family from my my side it, it lives on a different state in Brazil and so I had been traveling around states and now I'm going to be here until the end of December and then I'll go back home and then I'm gonna have to move. Where's home? I'm gonna get you? married next year, so we are Ooh, going to be moving to another state. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Where's home for you then? Uh, it's the state of Mato Grosso do Sul, which is a, the countryside of the country. Okay. Yeah, nice. nice. Yeah. Brazil is such a massive country. Like, it must be like the states. Yeah. You know, it must take a couple hours to move from like region to region, and you know, went to yep. visit family. I guess. So, yeah. Exactly like that, and especially in my hometown, is like in at the end of the world. <laughs> oh my god uh, yeah it's no. funny we, we've done a lot of podcasts in the last week and it's because it's like the end of the world cup i don't know whether you're a football fan but we've sort of been reflecting on uh on that oh uh, yeah that's one from france france uh, and then you're from brazil so two teams that were, <laughs> were pretty unlucky so like what are you sort of reflecting yeah. on the world cup <laughs> uh, i was pretty sad because we had it so close to yeah. going to the semi-finals and then we screw up yeah, uh, no. just, yeah. uh, you were the team that I thought were just gonna. I thought you were gonna wipe the floor with everyone. Like the squad depth that you had, like unbelievable team. And uh, we're we're Man United fans. Uh, Casemiro, Anthony, like we love them guys. Uh, so we thought they were yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's such a mixed feelings that I have when I watch Brazil because I always feel like they're very good, very skilled, but there is always something lacking in that in those teams. They don't have the same soul that the 20 the 2002 team had. Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, it's always crushing to see that we are always so close and we are so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was really sad for Neymar because obviously it's his sort of last World Cup and uh Yeah. For, for as great of a player as he is to not have won something for his country, I think uh it was pretty sad to see, because um, he is a Brazil legend, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. he he's he's a massive superstar here. Yeah, yeah. Is 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 his last World Cup? He announced it. I mean, he's old. Yeah, he said. Yeah, he said it's it's probably his last one. 
Wow. I mean, when, when players say it's probable, it's most likely going yeah, to be yeah, because yeah. they are not getting younger. Yeah, but I mean, Messi just came out, obviously, it's with the hype of like winning the World Cup, but he's like ready to like, crack on with Argentina, you know, for a couple more years. Yeah. And, and I can imagine Ronaldo is the same, you know. Uh, yeah, so yeah. If, I think Neymar. I mean, is, yeah. Definitely. Messi, I think he deserved it. He's been playing stellar football for the last, I don't know how many years now. And it was the last thing missing on his resume. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit hard for us because we're Ronaldo fans, but <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, so back onto the topic of uh, esports and yourself. Uh, okay. A place we like to start, and we ask every guest this, uh, just for the listeners to get to know you a bit more. Um, if it if you could give us like an overview from growing up to where you are now, so how you got introduced to esports, um, and yeah, just take us through your career. So who is Luis? Okay, um, the first time I got in touch with the possibility of doing anything remotely close to to esports was when I started playing World of Warcraft. I used to be very hooked up on arena competitions. 3v3, 2v2s, and that was like back in 2009, 2010. But uh, I never really went anywhere because that back in the day there was not, there wasn't streams or championships like there are nowadays. But it got me hooked into competitive online games. And right after I got my associate's degree in college, and uh, I started getting more and more close to to start competing in in esports in League of Legends specifically. But it wasn't right off the bat as a player. It was right off the bat as a coach. Okay. I got together with a few friends who were already playing. And we didn't have anybody to, to schedule the, the scrims or to keep track of what we were playing and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of doing both things, playing and coaching. And so we got together and we decided, okay, you're going to coach. And I was like, okay, I think I already enjoy doing this. So let's see how it goes. And from there, it was like about 2014 until 2016. I sort of did it as an amateur. And, but after 2016, when I got my first real work as a coach in, in South South American uh, region, which back in the day was separated, that's what, where I started really, okay, I'm going to be trying to uh, be as professional as I possibly can about this. And I started doing that and, in the last four years, I have been competing with the highest uh, level teams in Brazil and Latin America. I had a little question. Um, fantastic overview, by the way. Um, I was going to ask, how is sort of esports perceived back home in Brazil? I know in some countries, for example, I don't know, I've spoken to a lot of Italians, for example, and in their country, a lot of people have said that Brazil... Uh, esports isn't very accepted in the sort of society and they, they uh-huh. like people don't see the value of sort of esports you know back home what was what does that sort of look like in, in brazil is it very much accepted or is it still getting there um nowadays it is much more accepted than it was three four or five years ago Be- not not so much for computer but just because um that um on cell phone games such as uh, Free Fire, it has exploded here in Brazil. Exploded such such a um, uh, such a, a watched game and played game here because pretty much everyone has a cell phone here in Brazil. Mm. So it exploded. So people want to be uh, professional players, but on a different uh, platform. Uh, 
but in the last four years, um, Riot Games has been doing a phenomenal job here in Brazil, engaging the fans and and, and hyping the the championships. That Brazil has one of the most watched uh, competitions in the world, even compared to LCS and LC and, and the LAC. It's close up there in, in viewership, even though the skill level is very different. It is still a very much watched. Uh, championship so there are there's a lot of support from from the fans and that obviously got into mainstream media and people okay notice okay it's sort of like soccer or football as we call here and it's, it's just a different way but uh, it is much better perceived now than it was four or five years ago when it was still building and growing up to be what it is today yeah no for sure the support in brazil is uh, is crazy i remember seeing a tournament this year or last year in Brazil and it was CSGO. Yeah, it was a CSGO yeah, 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 it was. It. Yeah, it was it, yeah. Right? CSGO is like a, a second religion to many people here. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah fascinating. It was, to it was crazy to see. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about so sort of one of my missions in esports as a sports psychologist is to develop a, a wider identity for players sort of coming up that are in the grassroots um, and. By developing a wider identity, it's basically opening up the careers in esports other than just playing. A lot of people think that, you know, I can only just play the game. And you mentioned off the bat, you felt you as a coach. For maybe some esports players or young kids listening, what were some characteristics within yourself or behaviors that you engaged with that sort of made you think, right, I'm going to be a coach from off the bat, you know? Um, it, it kind of depends on, on how you perceive the competition because there are many ways of participating in competition. You can be the player, you can be the guy supporting the players, you can be the guy designing the strategy, you can be the guy that takes care of everything that makes compet, compet, uh, competition possible, such as general managers and um, and the people that, that support, like sports psychologists, all those people, they participate and they compete as well because they have to be in the same environment. They have to be um, performing in, in, in the day, daily basis. And understanding that, okay, playing is just one of the many aspects that, that, that a competition can take will open up the opportunities because then you start perceiving that you have some preferences that other people don't have. And there are opportunities for those preferences that, that can be taken advantage of. And, and it can be not just very well uh, paid for it but you can be recognized for, for, for the job that you're doing and mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of perspective when you're young I say that because I, I was young once you want to be in the spotlight you want to be the guy that everyone is 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 going after and you want to be the one that's raising the cup and all that kind of stuff which is very glamorous and very fun but over the long run, when you when you put in perspective, okay, do I want to be doing this for five years in a row? Do I see myself being able to do this for five years in a row? Then you start asking yourself questions. Okay, what else am I good at than just playing the game or what than just doing what I'm currently doing? And those are the, some of the tough questions that uh, that is the reason why very few players remain after five to six years uh, in, in the in, in the scene. Definitely, but it, it's it's always a good. It's a good um, uh, exercise to pay attention. Okay, see what choices other people more successful than you made that lead, led them to their path. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and it seems in in the 
esports sort of space and even in league, it seems that a lot of current coaches have been ex-players and it seems to bring a lot of credibility to sort of like their approach and even just their profile. For you, obviously, it was a completely different journey. So how did you sort of compensate, I guess, for that? Or like how how did you create buy-in, I guess, for the players that you were coaching? Sort of maybe was that due to your approach or just how you yeah how you interact with them so yeah to be honest it was because before i started playing back when i i was transitioning from playing world of warcraft to start playing more and more league i always liked to watch games i would watch the korean championship i would watch the north american championship the european championship the brazilian championship i would be hooked into watching one game after the other so I, I, I kind of noticed that, okay, I already watch a lot of the games. I know what other teams are picking. How can I uh, put this into, make this uh, uh, something that is going to work for us? And then I understood, okay, this is the job of a coach. So maybe I should try looking a little bit more into this path than in the player side. So uh, you kind of got, you kind of got to note, you, you have to notice, okay, what am I already doing and what do I already enjoy doing? And, and kind of start from there because if you don't have an, an actual practice for what you strive to do, if you don't have a way of putting it into action, it's much harder that you're actually going to be following that path or, or if you see that path only in an abstract manner or only in a material manner, that's going to be obviously it's going to fade away because you don't have the passion for it. And I think the word passion is not like, okay, I love doing this and, and you hey, but uh, it's gotta be, it has a meaning for me. It, it means something other than just the act of doing that. And that was already what was for me watching games. It was more than just watching the game. It was a, a, an intellectual challenge for me because I wanted to understand, okay, why are they doing this? Why, are, why do they do this? And why can't we do the same thing over here when I watch the Korean teams playing? So it has to have that um, that actual meaning in the practice other than just the material uh, meaning of it. Yeah. From what you just said, it seems like uh, as a coach, you do a lot of reflection uh, at certain points. Yes. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, you've obviously been at a variety of different teams, top teams. Um, where do you think was the most successful period uh, of your coaching career to date? And why do you think that was? Like, uh, try to sort of refer to sort of the mental side um, of esports uh, rather than the technical. Uh, what were some things that led to to being so successful during that period? I think my most successful period was last year, okay. and I was working on a coaching staff of three members. I worked with Vaughn, who was in Laos this year. Uh, it's not who is in all nights this year on Latin America. And we kind of uh, did some work that we would split the work into three and we would um, actively, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. Who wants to do what? Obviously some, some jobs are easier for some of us to do just because I wasn't pre physically present there. I was remote pre remotely present. So I was working, okay, I will be doing the the individual coaching with the jungler and the support, and I'll be doing the 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 presentations of of, of concepts and, and other tactics. 
And Esnaka would do the collection of numbers and Bomb would work on the drafts and other reviews. And we would interchange that information. And I think that was the most successful year for me because I learned a lot how to take on other perspectives and how to develop better some other skills that I, I thought I had decently good, but I saw that, okay, I need to improve these things. Mm. And we ended up winning the championship twice, back to back. And when when I moved back to another position, I saw that, okay, uh, there are many more stuff that I still need to learn or that I need to keep working on. And so that was a very good year because I got to work with some brilliant coach members. And the expansion of perspective is always something that puts you, okay, what are the things that I don't know? And what are, what are the things that I need to know in order to be able to do these things? And those kind of experience, they don't come very often or they don't come every, every split just because it's, uh, it's hard to, to, to have the self-perspective. Okay. What are my faults and what are the things that I need to improve? Sometimes everyone is, I mean, everyone is um, susceptible to self self-deception. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, so it sort of seems like uh, all the pieces of the puzzle were working so well together. Um, yes. Where, so obviously that was like the high point. Now let's sort of delve into to a low point or like a, a turning point uh, where maybe your biggest lesson um, during your career. When, when, when was that? And, and what was that lesson that you learned? It was when I left Korea in 2020. Okay. I I had a lot of difficulty uh, connecting with the players. I was working with players that were very young. They didn't have many ex much experience working in a, in a discipline environment. They had difficulty adjusting to to rules, and so that made a lot that created a lot of conflict between me and the players. And I failed to connect with the players and I failed to connect with the organization in, in, able, in, in being able to uh, express those issues and express my concerns and to work the, the, the problems out. And so obviously I, we ended up the, uh, parting different ways. And that made me think, okay, if I want to be a better professional in the future, I need to be able to express my concerns and to have a meaningful conversation with players, even if we have very different perspectives and different experiences. Yeah. And because of that, I, I started working a little bit more on, on my uh, capability of expressing my concerns and expressing myself in general. That that was a very difficult time for me because I felt very frustrated because I wasn't able to achieve the results that I wanted to achieve and I did and I couldn't put in the the work that I wanted to put in in place and so that was a very low point for me. Yeah, no, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Um yeah, no, it's uh it's sort of good to hear that and it seems like you you sort of took that experience and learned from it. Uh, you've obviously had a, a vast uh, experience working at a lot of different teams throughout the the lessons that you've learned what would you say are some of the key uh, mental qualities that are required for a coach to be successful in lol so for any esports coaches that are, are watching this they can look to develop uh the thing is competition is all about handling stress and handling the 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 
the difficulties that the, the, the competition imposes into you. Because if you take a step back and you try to visualize the environment in which we are placed in, you're gonna usually paint the picture of a, lot, a very large room with uh, high-end computers, gaming chairs, decent ventilation or air conditioning, and all the comfort that, that you may need, like there's going to be food, there's going to be water, there's going to be accessibility to all sorts of, uh, of goodies and commodities for the players. So the demands are not physical. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The demands are mental and psychological. And because you are inserted in an environment that has to cope with the competition, you, I mean, the team environment is going to require good communication, a strong um, psychological assistance from a psychologist. I think that's very essential because there are going to be always uh, miscommunication in, in how players and staff members are um, expressing their ideas, expressing their thoughts, expressing their intentions, even the way that you may say something may be uh, understood differently by someone else. So you're going to have the intermediate to, to, to mediate those conflicts. So team communication, strong professional assistance, and having a culture of respect, I think those are the things that are demanded from players and coaches to be able to thrive in, in a competition, yeah. especially when you when you're thinking about the uh, uh, the space of three months, you're going to be wanting to be uh, doing well with your with your team team players and team members in those three months. You can't just at the, after the first month starting to want to kill somebody in the team mm -hmm. because that's going to build up into failure. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the point before that you've obviously worked with some quite young players. Uh, and I was curious to, to see how, how involved are their parents, for example, in their sort of careers? Is, is that something as a coach that you sort of take the lead on? Do you sort of communicate regularly with their parents? And, you know, yeah, tell me more. I, I have worked with a few players that were buried at the legal age of being able to participate. Mm. I didn't have a very close relationship with their parents, but mm. sometimes they would call in to to check on the players to see if they're being well fed, if they if they're, you know, having any any sort of uh, uh, of discomfort or if they're having any complaints. But usually on that side of the of the of the aspect of the of the of the team, it's the manager's responsibility to 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 communicate with the with the parents not so okay. much the, the coach or the yeah. staff that to be doing that the kind of a communication but yeah. uh very rarely that happens because again from the age of 17 to 18 there are not many players there's usually one or two in, in the entire league not many yeah. okay interesting yeah yeah no but parents play a huge role in sort of the development which is why we sort of asked that question um you mentioned though that uh, a lot of the demands of a coach are psychological. And I wanted to sort of ask about your experience with uh, sports psychologists. Um, have you had any on your teams? And what sort of that experience been like? After 2019, which was the first time, I, 2018, which was the first time we started working with the psychologist, I just noticed that it was essential because in the environment, you have the players and you have the staff members. They are all actively participating in what is the 
topics related to the in-game problems, but the outside of the game problems, sometimes it can be even a difficult uh, relationship between the, the staff member and the player. So you need somebody from the outside to intermediate those those communication problems and those issues that may be aggravating there. And sometimes it's not even something serious, just sometimes that a player is, is understanding that, okay, my coach is being very rough on me and I think it's unjust that he's treating me like that. But how do you get that problem to be expressed and to be worked out? You're going to need somebody from, from the outside of that environment. And that's where a, a psychologist comes in to mediate. And, always, and of course, to, to maintain to maintain the, the relationships flowing properly. You don't have to just always wait for a problem to rise up, but sometimes there may be okay uh, if you have a psychology president in the databases and he knows a possibility of, a, of a something coming up and he can come and talk to me directly. Okay, you, I think you should treat a little bit this or that like that. I think you should maybe try this or try that in, in the way you're putting the, the things that the team needs to be working on just because... Uh, it's probably going to have a better effect or maybe it's going to make the players understand a little bit better what you're trying to say. You know, those kind of things that, again, we're all very susceptible to self-deception and, so, and we can't always notice everything that's going on. So having somebody that is uh, trained and has studied for that, it's always very, very important. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I can completely agree. And I think it's great that you sort of bring up the point that sports psychologists can help coaches as well as players because a lot of people think they're just there to sort of support the player, but coaches coaches need to perform as well as the players, you know? Um, yes. You've mentioned like uh, a couple of demands there of coaches. What would you say are some of the biggest demands that, that you face um, as a as a LOL coach? Uh, so being understaffed, it uh, used to be a very, a very common challenge. Yeah. And not always having the organization support is always another factor because as a coach, you are in a position of, of authority over the players. And the authority, it has to come from the backup of the organization because you're not going to be threatening the players. You're not going to be um, uh, punishing them physically or punishing them on... on or like reducing salary or, or whatnot. You need the support of the organization for those disciplinary issues. And having the organization present so that the, the relationship doesn't come to that is very important. And that has some, been something that it is not always present in the, in the environment. And I think that's one of the challenges because if you are capable of developing a relationship of respect, a culture of, of respect in the, in, in the team, you can... I wouldn't say bypass, but you can reduce the impact of having the organization being present. But at some level, you're gonna have you're gonna have to have the organization to be uh, present there. If not, not to be threatened or to be as a shadow of if you guys don't perform, we're gonna punish you. But as a, a support as well, being present there when when things are rough or when things are going well, and, and saying good job, we we support you. Is there anything you guys need? Is there anything we can do to to improve the the quality of of, of the teen environment? Those things usually don't get uh, much attention here in Brazil, and I think that's one of the things that teens should be. Uh, organizations in general should be more concerned about okay how can we make ourselves more present in the in the life of the players and the, and the staff members yeah 
yeah it seems to be quite a universal experience i think and like i don't think only in brazil i think a lot of coaches can definitely re relate to what you just said there and i'm actually doing some research for as part of my doctorate and i'm interviewing sports psychologists working in esports and a common issue that they explained was that the organizations were really positive in receiving you know sports psychology sports psychologists and having sports psychology support and they would often you know integrate them within the org but then they would be like, okay, you're the expert in sports psychology. You go do what you're best yeah. at. You're the expert and we'll just leave you to that. And, and sometimes, <clears throat> as we know, as you know, coaches, sports psychologists, et cetera, it's really important to have like a collab like collaboration between all the members of the org to be able to do our job properly. So um, yeah, similar experiences there. Um, and actually one sports psychologist mentioned that um, it took a year and a half for the org to actually ask the psychologists, what do they need, you know? And it, it's kind of concerning because it took that long to, you know, to to check up on, on that professional, you know? So I think for orgs out there, don't assume that because we have, you have experts doing the job, um, you know, don't assume that they can do everything. They definitely need your support, whether it's just checking up or resources or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think I, I think here in Brazil it's it's a cultural thing that goes beyond esports. Here in Brazil there is a big um a, a big what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh cultuation, is that a word? Mm. Cultuation <laughs> of uh, yeah. I, I don't know. People people seem to think okay, this guy has a a, a diploma, he has uh, a professional uh, title so he is going to solve my problems he's going to do the things that are making all the issues that i have here disappear and they kind of take away responsibility because they, they hired you and they paid you for to do the job and you have the title but the thing is that person is trying to resolve your problems they're trying to fix the things that are going to stop you from achieving your goals it does not mean that you have to just um, pull out and let the person take all the responsibility. It means that, okay, you're going to have to participate in order to be able to see, okay, is this person competent enough to be doing the job that I'm paying him to, to do? Is this person actually performing in the way that I expect him to perform? It's the responsibility of the organization to also be present and to be able to see those, those things in action in every single day. It's not just the professional's uh, uh, fault because sometimes the, per the person may be, is skilled and 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 capable of resolving those issues but there may be a miscommunication the person may be working on something that is not what you expect the person to be working on and you need to be there to give the feedback yeah and that happens a lot here in brazil not just in esports but in, in many other sectors as well I, I don't know how are in others in other countries or other regions but here is a i would say endemic problem i think it's the same you know that I can't make a generalization from like just the study I'm doing right now, but I think it's very similar. I think, like you said, all need to understand that to be able to do our job most effectively, we actually need you. Like the hiring process is only like 10% of like <laughs> the process, yes. you know, it, it's it's an ongoing thing, you know, uh, that, that process of collaboration. So yeah, once again, if there's something to like uh, take away from this pod is just collaboration, collaboration and yeah. And collaboration <laughs> yeah yeah um, because the from my experience the teams that that do better over the course of two splits over the course of a year 
are those teams that are able to kind of maintain some sort of a sustained effort throughout the the championship and are able to steadily progress or just marginally better than the other teams or or marginally getting better results but those add up not just in confidence but also not just in in the game um, qualities but also outside game confidence that you are you have the capability of beating every single team and to overcome every single challenge and those things come from from uh, a sustained effort from everyone not just one person or just spurs of performance it has to be a sustained effort yeah. because i've been on many teams where we had had like a phenomenal first first half of the split and then we started um, having difficulty over the course of the rest of the split and then by the time we got to playoffs we were beaten because we couldn't um, uh, we couldn't build enough confidence to 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 believe that okay uh, we are better than that team or we are in a better spot or our skills are sufficient to dev- developed that everyone can trust everyone to to go and perform and I have suffered from that as well. Yeah. Hi guys, Adri time. So if you're an esports player, an esports coach, or an esports organization who's simply interested in incorporating psychology support within your system, feel free to reach out. You know, at Mastering the Mind, we provide different types of services, whether it's one-to-one support, team support, or educational workshops on the mental side of esports. You know, we really seek to support players and coaches develop the necessary psychological skills to not only enhance their esports performance, but enhance their esports participation experience as well. So whether it's coping with tilt or, you know, coping with the pressure of competition, you know, those feelings of stress and anxiety before a big comp, these are all things that we can help you with. The first session is free of charge, so feel free to reach out. And if you want more information, just visit www.mtmconsultancy.org or just send us a message on our various social media accounts at mtm underscore OFF. Right, back to the episode. Yeah, maybe it's our responsibility as well as coaches, sports psychologists. Uh, when we enter an org, we like list the things that we expect from them, and maybe that collaboration piece and that togetherness, and you know, is one of those things. You know, so it's maybe it's our responsibility to bring that up as well. Um, but yeah, I think fifty-fifty is probably the the answer, I guess. But yeah, I I think so because everyone in a team. You don't have to be asking somebody, do you want to win the split? Do you want to go to Worlds? Everyone wants that. But it's a matter of, okay, how do you see we, we achieve in that? Because the answer is different a lot in that sense. And be able to under, to see on the person that you're working with, where is the middle ground with that person? Where is the, Where can I meet him or meet her in order to be able to do the work that we want to be doing? And that is never just one person's job. That is always... Uh, a two-way street. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say, and sort of add in that it's a two-way street, not a one-way street. So, hundred uh, percent. You mentioned um, in-game confidence and out-of-game confidence for for sort of players. Um, what are some qualities that you look for in players um, within the game when when you're looking to build a roster? What sort of qualities are you looking for mentally? Usually. Uh... I'm not usually a coach is never in a position to choose all the five players, but when you get to choose one or two players or even three players, the first thing that I look in in an interview with the player is how good of a grasp of the language the person has. How well can he express himself, his ideas, his thoughts, 
even if the person is native in the language that we're interviewing, I want to see how well that person can actually expose what he's thinking. Because again, like the the demands are not physical; they are psychological and emotional. So that person needs to have a good communication uh, skill. And second is how well disposed that person is to work when the work necessary is hard. Because at sometimes during the competition, there are moments in which the players, the team, the team, everyone's going to be, is going to have to grind. So there is no um, going around grinding games when you, when a new champion comes out or when the mechanical level of, of the team is, is not on par with the other teams or when we feel like we're losing too many of a single matchup or losing too many on one side of the map, there needs to be grind. So if the player is disposed to do hard work without having to ask, that's going to be a plus because if you have a player that is disposed, is not disposed to, to work hard or to grind, obviously the player that's willing is going to have a much better result off of, out of that. And because what, what do you do if you have to grind because a new champion comes out and we're just getting stomped by that champion we can't play the champion and the person just plays the bare minimum of a champion and you have to force the player the player to play a champion and there and then it doesn't yield the result what do you do, do you just scrap the idea and move forward or do you try something else when grinding is the only solution so having the disposition to work hard when necessary that's un, that's necessary and having a good graphical language that is also necessary because if you have those two steps i think you're already two steps forward than everyone else at the very least and those th the things that you can't teach a player over the course of the split. The player has to have the disposition for that. And so if you're going to hire somebody, you better hire somebody with those skills over everyone else. Yeah, no. Um, so sort of communication and commitment. Um, it's interesting because I, I did some research uh, and, and a study that sort of informed my study was the five C's and communication and commitment are two of those C's that are required to make it to the professional game in football. So you can sort of see like mm. the, the similarities. Um, how have you yes. found um, roster changes with, with players? Obviously, they're so frequent. Um, I suppose you have to look for a sort of adaptability. And yeah, how, how have you sort of found that? Because that's sort of something that surprised me when coming into esports a while back, uh, how frequent the roster changes were. Have you Have you experienced that? Yes, I in the last two years I changed teams three times. I stay usually I stay in a team for about a year, two splits, which I think is uh it's it's enough time to to see how how well you have adapted to an environment, how well you work with an organization, how well your your goals and principles are aligned, and I I think that. Sometimes, if you can find an organization that you can stay for longer than a period of a year, I think it's preferable, obviously. But it, at least here in Brazil, I think that the high turnover of players or high amount of players changing teams is just a symptom of the lack of formation of new players. It's very hard for a new player to, to move from academy and to go to the main roster and start uh, performing at the highest level. This year... There were two players that actually were able to do that, which was Brands in Loud and Gut in Furia. But that's those are two players in like uh, three years period of time that have moved from academy to to the main to the main competition and actually performed. And I think if we had more new players being formed and ready to play into the 
higher league, I think teams would actually stop to changing so many players. Because if you take a look at the Lao team, they essentially changed one player. They, they changed one play one new player and three veteran players. And the team just won uh, the their first title here. Okay. And I, I think I think that the the formation of new players is very important in order to okay not have to change in so much because you're going to be focusing on your own players more often. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask a question in terms of like the off season period. Um, I've seen on Twitter that obviously for coach for both coaches and players it can be a really stressful period because especially if you're unsigned, right? Take yeah. us through sort of that period, you know, maybe as a, as a coach from the coach perspective, how, yeah, how sort of, how do you manage that as a coach really? Um, um, I think it's a bit easier for a coach, especially yeah. if you have more than just one, experiencing more than one role. I have worked as a head coach. I have worked as a strategy coach. I have worked as an analyst, a data analyst as well. I, I know how to, how to work the Excel. I know how to collect data because those are things that all, all interest me. Mm-hmm. So having the variety of possibility of roles to fill, it, it gives you an edge in order to, to, to always find somewhere to, to be, to be um, working. But uh, I think if you are unable to find a team, it's very important that, okay, you keep working on yourself, you keep developing your skills, be it developing one of these four, uh, four possibilities of, of of assignments, being as a strategy coach, being as a head coach, because you can, the opportunities are going to come because teams are always looking for talent and teams are always looking for people that are better prepared. But you should not despair yourself if you can't find a team for a one split. But understand, okay, if I wasn't hired, it is because all the teams in a region didn't think that I had better skills than those that I hired. So what is that those players are doing? Are those coach members, those coach and staff members are doing better than what I'm doing? And what can I actually do to compare to them? Because if you find yourself lacking in something or if you find yourself um, not having a certain, a certain skill, you should be working on that. And it's just a matter of time because sometimes it takes a while for you to, to get on the same level that everyone is. For example, I have an advantage over other staff members here in Brazil because I speak Spanish as well. I am late, I'm native in Spanish as well, so I have opportunities on other teams from other regions. And even though last year I wasn't able to find a team in Brazil, I found an opportunity in Latin America and won two titles over there. So that is, that is always um, something that you should be looking for as well. If you have the opportunity to work outside of the region, you should make yourself available as well to other regions mm-hmm. so it's always a matter of okay what can i what are my skills and what am i lacking and working on that because sometimes even just speaking one extra language is going to be immensely helpful yeah do you ever get worried uh when when you're out of work like and, and you leave a team like i imagine for players I know, like you, you mentioned, like working, working on yourself during if you haven't been picked up during a split. But just listening to that, I think personally, I think I'd be super worried that I'm not going to be able to get back in, uh, especially if I put all my eggs in the esports basket. Um, yeah, what what are the sort of thoughts and feelings? Have you had any players come to you about feelings of worry? Yes, yes, I 
I actually have one personal friend who was playing in Vorax in Brazil, Liberty Vorax. Mm. He was worried that he, the team didn't renovate his contract, mm. didn't renew his contract, and he was worried that he was going to be without a team for the next split. Mm. I, I talked to him. I, I think that one thing that, that is very important, especially for players that have had um, uh, previous work or previous contracts, is that they need to work on their financial health as well. Because yeah. if, you, if you're looking to uh, only put all your baskets into esports basket, you need to be able to manage your personal life and your financial life properly in order to, to be able to handle those uncertainties that, that may come in, in the future. And I try to help him financially with financial advice and trying to help him put his, his house in order, sort of say. Yeah. But uh, it, it's hard. It definitely is hard, especially here in Brazil, because outside of the main league and the academy league, there is no third league for players to be able to compete and, and, and have a, a steady income. But uh, it's just one of the realities. And I think that even though it's unfortunate, you you have to keep your head leveled and you have to understand, okay, this is part of the risk that I'm taking. This is part of the of the of the challenges that every single player is subjected to. And with me, it's not going to be different. I, I need to be able to to handle this with maturity and with uh, steadiness. Yeah. And you ever see a world in esports where there's more career stability within teams uh, and they actually stick together longer? Or do you just think this culture is the way it is and there's going to always be frequent roster changes? I don't know. It... I think that it depends on the on, on a couple of factors. I think it depends on the cultural factor of of the uh, of the esports in, in 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 subject because if you compare for say CS:GO and League of Legends here in Brazil, those are two separate. Those are very different uh, environments in in terms of how you become a professional and how you make that a profession. Because for 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 Riot. You have the Riot League sponsored, the Riot uh, sponsored leagues, and for CS:GO you have the sponsored uh, leagues that are from many sponsors. You have different competitions, and you have the organizations that also um, hire the players. But uh, the career paths are very different. I think, I think for League of Legends there's more stability, and it's a little bit easier than than on CS:GO. But of, of course the the prospect of payments is much higher on CSGO than I think it's on, 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 on legal values here in Brazil because when you compare dollars to reais, the the difference is very, very big. Mm. But I, I don't I don't see I think it depends a lot on how how the outside investments from Riot to to create a new league where players who have not got into the main league can find opportunities to keep playing. And I don't know if there's enough interest from sponsors. I think there is enough interest from, from the public perspective, but I don't think there is a, a sponsor interest. And I think, well, without the money, you can't have a league. Yeah. yeah. We actually went to a conference um, that looked at uh, sustainability in esports. Um, and because obviously esports heavily relies on the sponsors. Uh, and it's sort of about how can we create. Uh, an ecosystem that doesn't rely solely on sponsors because without sponsors i think it'd be difficult for esports to function um so yeah that's sort of like why i sort of asked that question whether you had any ideas on uh how that could happen but 
yeah, no. Because recently here in Brazil, the Riot organized a, a female tournament without any sponsors. The viewership wasn't very high, but that started getting things moving. And a lot of a lot of teams participated on that and it got some traction. But I don't know how sustainable is that without sponsors to put in the money. So that's the thing. Even if, if you try to start a, a tournament, if you get a lot of viewership without sponsorship to continue that traction, I don't. I simply don't know how can you do it because, well, in the end of the day, players need to to pay their bills. People that make the tournament possible need to pay their bills as well. Everyone um, needs some sort of income, and without the sponsors, it's just not possible. Even if you have the public, because. Team crowd-funded uh, tournaments, they are not very reliable because of the simple fact that you're relying on the crowd. So okay. I, I, I guess I'm out of ideas for how to be sustainable. We'll have to brainstorm. Uh, <laughs> no. but, but yeah, no. So so we've sort of been mentioning, like, uh, I suppose, how worrying it can be being away from esports if you're out of a job. Um but I also think it's important to disconnect whilst you're in the job as well. So not just yes. sort of play and play and play and coaching, coaching, coaching. How do you disconnect from esports? I I like to read a lot. Okay. I read a lot of novels and I like to take whatever amount of time that I have to study things outside of my profession. I like to study philosophy. I like to study history. I like to study um, economics, financial markets, all the kind of stuff, things that are 100% not related to what I do on, on my job. And it's important to always have something that takes you out of the competition environment and puts your mind on some, some, something else for a period of time. And that you are able to do the, that regularly and I think books is just the best best way of doing that. Some people like to watch series. Some people like to to go to parties. But I think the I think that going to parties is not very healthy for on the long run. And I think series is just too passive to to get you in, to have you engaged and to have you sufficiently um, out of your quote unquote uh, other world. Mm. And I think reading books is just the best way that you that you can easily and quickly teleport just outside of the of the esports environment yeah i go through like waves of, of reading a lot and then and then going through phases of like not reading and then sort of my disconnect is esports from uh like i like to play so but all the books you read in portuguese oh, also gym going to the gym ah. always, it always works it helps a lot when i was before the 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 covid pandemic I I used to go to the gym every single day and I did like for three and a half years. And then after the 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 lockdown, I was having difficulty getting back to, to my old habits, but yeah. that also helped immensely because 100%. no matter how poorly a day goes, you go to the gym for an hour, you're focused on lifting the weights and to exercise, and that can reset your mind every single day as well. Also, that I re recommend that a lot. Yes. Yeah, the feeling afterwards is uh, unbelievable. Um, oh, and I, I read mostly Portuguese books. I yeah. read some English, some books in English, and some yeah, very ask, rarely some books in Spanish. Have you, uh, have you got any books to recommend in English that, that maybe we could read? Uh, what kind of lit, uh, literature are you looking for? Uh, I read a lot of like, self-development books, but uh, like... 
I suppose and anything that you're sort of interested in. What what would you say are your top three in English? Uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare books, and oh. and Chatterton is also one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, I I read a lot of Christian uh, literature in English. Chatterton, Lewis. Uh, I read some. I read Tolkien as well. I like to read. I, I read. I started reading Shakespeare because. I, I, I thought to myself, okay, I need to improve my English. How can I do it? Well, who better to learn from than with Shakespeare? So it was <laughs> a very difficult read at first, yeah. but doing that will help you immensely and try. Yeah. Try slowly, but but uh, Christian literature is what I, I like to read in English because I'm very I'm a very um, I'm a very Catholic person. I'm very religious. I I go to to mass every sunday and i like to read the bible every single day i know that's a that's a personal choice for me so i don't try to say okay you should read the bible every single day but if somebody comes to me and asks oh, okay how can i get started i'll obviously help that person mm. but uh reading some any kind of literature that is written that has been written by somebody that has a higher standard than you is always going to help immensely. I think self-development books are also really good if, if you're going through a rough period of your of your life or if you're going through a specific problem because those are techniques and are some um, some um, condensed experiences that can help you grow uh, a different um, perspective of the issues that you're going through. But the, I think that the main trick is always to be reading something that interests you in, uh, in, in a practical way, something that you can put in practice immediately, because that's going to help you get engaged and going to help you co go back to it every single day. And even if you read just five pages a day, well, over the course of a year, it's a lot of pages. 100%. Yeah, I think that's sort of a, not a New Year's resolution, but maybe a challenge I'm going to set myself is to sort of read 10 pages of something nothing to do with sports psychology but more uh, the, the the books I like to read uh, and if I read 10 pages a day like god knows how many books I'll read but I saw something where it's like um, instead of reading a lot of books like frequently if you maybe chose like one or two and actually applied the principles from those books maybe reread them after reading them apply the principles it will have much more effect than just constantly trying to churn out all, all the books um, so that's something I'm considering as well, like really applying the principles of maybe one or two chosen books that I think would have impact in my life um, and applying them. So, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll inform the audience of how I get on with that next year. <laughs> one of the things that I do is I read a book and after I finish the book, I don't write an essay, but I try to, to point out the in a schematic way what are the important information that I got from that book? Yeah. And even if I don't, even if I don't go and develop every single point, it will exercise my memory so that every time I look at the at the cover of a book, all those things are gonna come to me immediately, and then I will know that I that I have taken that book and incorporated it into my personality. Obviously, the more books you do. Uh, you're not always going to remember everything, but if you have an idea of one idea that you thought that was very important, that's already one idea better than you were before. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I suppose a question I had, a topic that we haven't really spoken about on the podcast, uh, but I'm, I'll ask you about it. How important do you think religion has been to your sort of uh, career? 
like in terms of helping you what what have been some of the, the lessons you've learned from religion and applied into to your career it's i have been away from my religion before mm-hmm. but everything has improved since i got back everything i'm, I'm not kidding professional life personal life relationships financial uh intellectual everything has improved dramatically because of it because the thing about religion when you read the bible for because i'm a christian i read the bible what you have in front of you is not just uh, a book telling you rules or telling you how you should live your life it's a book about um personal things personal relationship personal problems drama things that have happened to people even though they live in a different time but they have lived to proportions that we can't that we don't have access in our in our personal life every single day mm. so understanding that that is that book is talking about you it's talking about your life how can you understand better what are the things that are happening to you because other than your choices there are the circumstances circumstances in your life that are affecting you and sometimes you don't have uh, access to all the, th- that information immediately because if you take a like say a book from from a very skilled writer many times that person is talking about regular lives and simple people in ways that they themselves would never be able to comprehend and the bible is sort of like that they're taking they're taking the life of people that can be present in your life that people that are part of your your experiences that you sometimes don't have the accessibility to to the depth of what is in front of you or how you can perceive your experiences and how you can better um live your life in in, in some sense so religion has been essential for me and i wouldn't want any other way yeah yeah i really really appreciate I'm, i'm not religious personally but I really, uh, after learning a lot more about it and seeing a lot more people speak about it, um, I definitely have a, a real appreciation for religion. Um, so yeah, I just sort of wanted to sort of ask more about that. Um, I suppose coming towards the end of the pod, um, you've obviously achieved a lot in your career already. Um, what sort of next for you? Like, what are your goals and ambitions moving forward? Obviously, approaching twenty twenty three now. What are your sort of goals in, in esports? And then life as well. Next split, I will be taking a break. I want to be focusing on my personal life. And I'm going to get married at, in, in June. So I want to be devoted to that. Yeah. And also over the last three years, I have developed other uh, personal interests in other areas of, of, of life, especially in the financial markets. And that's something that I have always been in touch with. And in the last two years, I have been getting more, devoting more and more time towards that. So I'll be taking this time in the next six months to be focused on my marriage and my interest in the financial markets. And if there is still um, the flame of competition in me, I'll be looking to get back to esports towards the, the second half of the year or maybe in 2024. But uh, that's how I see myself nowadays. Because after six years of coaching League of Legends, you kind of ask yourself, okay, what is next? Yeah. 
100%. Congratulations on the on the Thank on the you. marriage. <laughs> yeah, no, good. Um, uh, obviously, good luck with all of that. Um, yeah, I, I suppose thanks so much for like coming on the podcast and and, and spending some time with us uh, and, and sort of sharing your experiences with us. It's been a uh, really eye opening for me. I've I've learned a lot. Um, we have like a final segment. What we do with our guests, uh, it's like a new new segment that we do where we ask uh, the last person that came on the podcast to ask the future guest a question. And uh, we had Loik Senepin, uh, which is a professional Rainbow Six uh, head coach for M&M Gaming in the, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And he asked, uh, what is the thing or person that changed your career? Oh, I have one person. Yeah. I'm not going to say Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is implied. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a philosopher named Olavo de Carvalho. Okay. He changed my view of the world. He opened up my perspectives to dimensions that I didn't have access to before and, and that it was very important for my personal development and my professional development. So Olavo de Carvalho, a Brazilian philosopher, very important okay. to me. Okay, sweet. And uh, we always ask uh, the current guest, ask the next guest a question. You, you don't know who it is. A random question. If you had to do one thing and only one thing for the next five to ten years, what would it be? I feel sorry for the next guest because that's a challenging question. (laughs) But we love it. We like challenging Uh, questions. (laughs) That's a question that I have been asking myself a lot lately. And it's very hard. So I want the next person to bust his balls to answer that yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no obviously thanks so much for coming on the pod and uh you know congratulations for for getting married in june i hope all that goes well uh good luck future endeavors as well um, i'm sure you, you'll smash it in whatever you do um and, and yeah thanks so much for coming on thank you i appreciate the opportunity yeah no worries okay so we hope you enjoyed this episode if you could please share this with friends or someone you feel will benefit from it most importantly like subscribe comment down below any questions or guests you'd like us to get on in the future also go follow us on twitter or instagram links will be in the description of the youtube video or find us at master in the mind podcast thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one